Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. The Bible is the most controversial book that has ever existed. Men have died for it, empires have crumbled because of it, families have been divided over it, but how do you know you can trust it? This week's free download, Four Reasons You Can Trust the Bible, pulls from dozens of hours of research and shares four compelling evidences for reliability of the Bible, including fast facts about its authorship, accuracy, and reliability. It also includes a timeline following the formation of the Bible, a chart of 38 biblical prophecies fulfilled in detail, and a table comparing the religious texts of the major world religions. You'll learn why you can trust the Bible is indeed God's Word and find renewed confidence and excitement to seek God in the Scriptures. Get your copy at ltw.org candid. Now on to today's topic. One of the questions I often receive as a pastor is, can I as a Christian date a non-Christian? It certainly comes up about marriage, but um, I think the the root of it is uh, starts with the dating relationship. I read a quote recently that says that any Christian foolish enough to date an unbeliever is foolish enough to marry one. So I think it's kind of a uh, it's a topic that covers both dating and marriage, certainly in terms of biblical truth. But when we think about it, when we break this issue down to its absolute core, its root, it comes down to one thing. Will I submit to God? Will I submit to his word? Or will I choose my own path? Will I choose my own way? It's the same question that was uh, given to Adam and Eve in the garden, You know, there's the trees of which they can eat from, and then there's the one tree that they cannot eat from, and they chose the one they couldn't eat from, which goes against what God had commanded. And so I guess the second thing that falls off of that is, do you believe God's word to be authoritative, or do you think of it as just a helpful tool, a sometimes helpful guide in your life? And I, I would urge you to actually ask yourself uh, these two massive questions um, if this situation describes you in some capacity. Do I want to submit to God and what his word says, or do I want to submit to what I feel or think or want? And secondly, do I trust and believe God's word? Is it authoritative in my life, or do I just go to it when I want to feel better about myself or encouraged. Um, Because it's certainly uh, the mirror that shows us ourselves, but it's also, it's the words of life. It's the things that, uh, as Paul writes in Colossians, that it takes us out of the the kingdom of darkness and puts us in the the kingdom of light of Christ. It's what Christ has done. Uh, You know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It is the Bible that tells us who Christ is, what he has done. It's the gospel message. Uh, It shows that the history of man, the fall of man, 
the good news of life, that God intended for us to have everlasting life with him, not to struggle eternally, not to perish eternally. He, he desires for us to be restored to what was originally in the garden. But if we choose to go our own way, we reject what he has for us, uh, and we choose an alternative. And our hearts are fickle, and they lead us astray. And I think this is one of the main issues that tends to come up for believers, for young believers, is that desire to be married. And again, the question has to come, is my desire to be married, does it outweigh what God is calling me to? Um, And so I want to think through these things. And and, and the first thing I want to do is talk about what marriage is, we, because we need a we need a biblical understanding of what marriage is before we um, delve into what I'll call the sort of main arguments that that are presented to people, and then the biblical responses. So, what is marriage? What is dating? The Bible does not address dating in Scripture, uh, but it does address marriage, and we see it at the very beginning in Genesis one. God designs marriage to be a partnership in ruling a creation under his rule. And so we need to acknowledge who is the author and sustainer of life and submit ourselves to him. And then within that relationship, there is the husband-wife dynamic. There is the the wife submitting to the husband. I, I know that this often, and we'll come up to, to this again in the New Testament section, but I think that word submission, it, it comes with some connotation, and we think it's uh, servanthood, some sort of slavery, modern-day slavery, but it's, it's anything but. Um, I used to describe it to people like this. Would you submit to someone who has your best interest at heart, to someone who loves you so much that they would be willing to die for you, to put their life on the line, someone who considers how uh, their decisions will make you think and feel, uh, would you submit to that person? And the answer almost always is yes, absolutely they would. And that is the point. That is what a marriage is supposed to be. You submit yourself to your husband, and that husband is submitted to Christ. You are also submitted to Christ, but you're being submissive to your husband who is submitted to Christ and is loving you the way Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He laid his life down for the church. It's a beautiful picture, but I think it's one that's not taught too often in many churches and is easily forgotten. And so we have these views of uh, manhood and and machoism uh, that tend to reign in some of our churches, and they're just not true. They're inaccurate. It's a sacrificial love. It's It's a love that... Uh, would do anything for their bride, including laying down one's life. In other parts of the Old Testament, not just in Genesis, but uh, there's the prescription of what marriage is to be. And, and, And in the Old Testament, it's with the nation of Israel, they are not to intermarry with the tribes that surrounded them, the pagan tribes who were not submitted to God, who did not know Yahweh, who did not worship Yahweh, but had their own tribal gods. And so we read in verses like Genesis 24, the great lengths that Abraham goes to, to ensure that his son Isaac marries Rebekah, who is from their family. Um, Genesis 27, where we see Rebekah and Isaac, they're discussed with the marriage of their son to 
a Canaanite Hittite woman. And that's for religious reasons. Uh, it's not a tribalism issue in terms of uh, like racism. It's a wanting to be, and we'll come up to this phrase uh, again in, in a little bit, but wanting their children to be equally yoked with people who come from a sort of covenant family who are serving and loving God. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, at the conquest of Canaan, the Lord gives those prohibitions against intermarriage where he says, do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and quickly destroy you. And we've seen this worked out. We've seen how when kings would intermarry, when Ahab marries Jezebel, when uh, Solomon marries all these wives. It pulls the heart in different directions, and please don't think it's only men to women. Um, it, it can certainly be the reverse, but it, it's something that um, you, you're not being equally yoked. You're not being submissive to the same authority, the same power that you want working in your life. And in the New Testament, you know, we see this in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is the most obvious one about not being yoked together with unbelievers. And I think of a yoke, you know, it's the harness that the oxen would wear when they're treading out grain or when they're plowing a field, when they're at work together and moving in the same direction with the same trajectory. They have to be equal size with each other, equal power and strength. If, if one is considerably weaker, it will affect uh, the straightness or the ability to plow effectively, to do their work effectively. Um, I read a book that described it as uh, an ox and a rabbit yoked. You know, essentially the ox is just going to keep moving in a circle around the rabbit because the rabbit can't pull its weight. And that's the picture that uh, that Paul's giving us uh, in Corinthians. And, and the verse continues, do not be uh, yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And this is not talking only about marriage, but I think this is true of all of our relationships. Um we need to not isolate ourselves, not have the monastic view that we need to go live up on the hilltops. We need to engage with people, but they have to have a gospel dynamic to those relationships. If we're not in some way active or passively demonstrating the gospel to people, and I would put an emphasis on actively, then what is the point of that relationship? Uh, are you gaining knowledge and wisdom and insight from this person? Are they gaining it from you? Um, I think it's it's certainly a challenge to me as I consider relationships with people. Am I having that gospel-centric, Christocentric approach to conversations, to the way I relate to them, to the way we uh, engage with one another? Um, I, I certainly will take advice differently from my non-Christian colleague versus my Christian friend who will remind me of the love of Christ and remind me of what I've been called to as a believer. I will treat that relationship differently. But back to the the marriage, uh, uh, you know, Paul writes again in Ephesians chapter 5. Again, we talked about this issue of submission, that wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of 
of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word." It's this image of, uh, again, of, of, of it's not the submission that I think sometimes we can come up with that is um, a sort of a domineering domination. It, it's instead, it's gentle, it's loving, it's uh, self-sacrificing. In the Bible, when the Bible talks about love, it does have that element of self-sacrifice to it because we have a picture of what love is. And that picture is Christ and Christ loving his church and uh, pouring out his own blood, his life blood for the church that we may have life. And so the relationship between a husband and a wife, it's the sacrificing and then a submission to what that sacrificial person is doing. Now, I want to talk about three of the main arguments that are often presented. One argument is that we are doing dating evangelism. Uh, I'm dating this person because they're not a Christian, and I want to help them become a Christian. And so this is seen as a good thing. The problem is that what you end up doing is you end up intermingling and mixing romance, dating with faith, uh, conviction, uh, Christianity, and, and they become intertwined in an unhealthy way for someone who is being led to the Lord. My advice would be if you're dating someone who is not a Christian and they seem genuinely engaged and want to know more, they want to grow, my advice would be to end the relationship as a dating relationship and then connect that person with someone of the same gender, the same sex, to begin to counsel and walk through life with that person, to begin to discipleship, uh, give them discipleship, disciple them in a healthy manner, in a way that, that really the church should be doing. I've heard really great stories of people who have done that, who came along to church because they were interested in a person, that relationship did not start or it was, it was put on halt uh, so that the interested party in the faith could become solidified and, and hear the truth and understand it. Uh, but you have to give that time because that you don't want the motivation to be for the individual. You don't want, uh, for example, if it's a, a man pursuing a woman, you don't want him to be falsifying and just saying what he needs to say because he wants the girl. You want to know that his, uh, his faith is genuine, that it's real before a dating relationship or a courtship or whatever you want to call it can begin. And that will take time, and it will take a lot of wisdom and advice from pastors, uh, friends, and family. And let me say this. You know, if you're talking with your friends and your family and your pastor, and they know the person you're dating, and they're saying things to you along the lines of, maybe this isn't the right person, and you're ignoring them, um, you should have your radar up a bit stronger. It comes back to our original point, our original core issue of this issue that we have raised. Are you willing to submit to God? Are you listening to godly leadership? Are you listening to what God's Word is telling you? Or are you saying, no, no, I know where I want to go. This is the direction I have chosen. And even though I know it's against what friends, family, church, 
the word are telling me, um, you need to be very careful. This will put you in a very dangerous situation, I think, relationally, and you need to consider what your friends and family, what the Word of God, what your pastors are telling you and trying to say to you, because their interest is for you. They're looking after you and even the person that you are pursuing. And this is not a healthy endeavor to move forward in. Uh, The second thing that I think often comes up is that we have evidence of success of a Christian dating a non-Christian and then getting married and then a conversion soon after of the of the non-believing spouse. Uh, it's hard because it's evidentiary, right? It's hard to argue against evidence that's there. The problem is not what Scripture prescribes. If that's happened to you, wonderful. You know, God has obviously been gracious in that situation. He has allowed the non-believing partner to trust and believe in Christ on their own, and that's a great thing. But I don't think we make it a rule. Uh, you know, here's a possibly helpful example. You know, the, the person who became a believer uh, when they reached the end of all their alcoholism and they were, they were partying and, and drinking and, and doing drugs to excess, and then they came to an end of themselves and became a Christian— Uh, That does not therefore become the rule that living that lifestyle will ultimately lead to becoming a believer. No, we know that those things are unhealthy uh, ways of living out. They don't exactly become the rule. They become really the exception. Uh, We rejoice in the stories, but we don't create a pattern out of that lifestyle because it worked for one person. And so I'd say the same for the stories we do have of successful marriages uh, where a, a, a Christian married a non-Christian. I think we still have to stick very solidly to what the Word of God tells us about marriage, about what submission is, because this is a man and a wife in partnership, working together, bringing glory to God. And if one of the partners is not seeking that, how can the marriage be glorifying to Christ? How, how can the other partner be glorifying to Christ? Uh, because, again, it's the picture of the unequally yoked, again, to use the illustration, a rabbit and an ox. You can't get the work done. You're just going to be running around in circles. You're going to bring even uh, a misery in your own heart. I mean, Christian marriage is difficult enough as it is, and adding in children, it, it, it adds just another layer to that. I can't imagine being in relationship in a marriage with someone who does not value the same things I do. If my faith is of utmost importance to me, if Christ means everything to me, and the person on earth who's closest to me does not value and cherish those things, I could become depressed. I could become uh, very upset and saddened. Life would be very challenging and difficult. And so you you want to be thinking future. Um, What will my future look like? And not putting your hope in that this evangelism process will work itself out. Uh, The third thing is the question, well, doesn't God want me to be happy? And I think we've addressed this in in another podcast. But you're beginning to assume that a relationship is what will bring you happiness. And I think we can call that an idol. You've put too much investment in something that is not Christ. And that's not what we're called to do. We're called to invest in our marriages, in our relationships, but through that prism, through that lens of of Christ. And if you know 
that this relationship is not Christ-centered, then why pursue it? If you feel Christ is calling you to something else, why pursue this? Is it worth it? We know that God is working all things for the good of those whom he's called according to his purposes, but don't force his hand in forcing a situation that you know will not be glorifying to him. You need to think clearly, you need to seek good counsel, and you need to really have some moment of introspection and asking yourself the tough questions. Is this what God is calling me to? I know what his word says. I've listened to what godly counsel have told me. And sometimes one of the greatest blessings you can have is terminating that relationship with the non-believer. Because you may actually be holding them back from some greater blessing in some capacity. And so I think there is graciousness. And, and I know that at the moment that could be very difficult because we put such an emphasis on relationship, particularly romantic dating relationships. But again, it's all coming back to this point. Will I submit to God's word? Will I submit to the author, creator, and sustainer of life? Or do I feel like I know what's best? Do I trust the word of God? Do I trust what has been read to me from Old Testament and New Testament? Is it pointing me in a helpful direction? Or do I not value the word of God? Does this relationship reign higher than how I value the word of God and God himself? These are just a few questions to be asking yourself if you're dealing with this, if you're advising someone uh, who's dealing with this. We'd love to hear from you. Hopefully there's been some good commentary, some helpful scripture used uh, in which you can share with your friend. Remember to do this all with gentleness and respect, but we do need to speak the truth and we do it in love. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you like today's episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit ltw.org candid to connect with these pages, share your questions with me, and get this week's free download. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Thanks for listening.